God is calling us to trust Him, and there is a plan for this, and we are part of the plan. Maybe I should be more specific. We are part of His plan, and that is the tension, of course. He is the author of the story, and we are not. Preferably, if I do get a choice, which I don't, I want to be the writer of my story rather than trusting a sovereign God as the story writer. During most of our daily affairs, we do trust God in virtually every way. But when things start to fly sideways, that call to trust Him comes under attack. When the heat in our lives intensifies, the temptation is to react in self-reliant ways because we're not getting the life that we had hoped God would provide. Well, I want to talk about things flying sideways, and some of you are in it right now. As the old cliche is, you're either uh, heading into trouble, you're in trouble, or you just got out of it. But that is the story of our lives. And sometimes when trouble is amplified in such a way, the call to trust God is a huge challenge. And again, I trust that this podcast will be a a source of benefit and encouragement to you, as well as to those that you love, that you're coming alongside of, hoping to encourage as they too enter into and wrestle inside the crucible of suffering. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I'm very glad that you are here. I have an article for you. The article is on anger. I have done several articles over the past few months on anger. Many of those articles are about our horizontal relationship as we're angry with other people in our lives. We do not believe that they have treated us fairly or the way that we had hoped. Sometimes we can respond in sinfully angry ways. Well, ultimately, all of our anger is directed toward God because He is always there, 24-7, ever-present. Not just omnipresent, but also omnipotent. He is all-powerful, and so He can stop anything from coming to our lives, and sometimes He permits things to happen, and so therefore, our reactions to what is going on horizontally in our lives is a commentary of what we think about the author of our story. And so with that in mind, I've titled this particular article, quote, I am mad at God. There, I said it. And that is the quiet part that we don't typically say aloud. And so I trust that if you do have time, you make your way over to our website and that you read this article. You will find the video and the podcast embedded in it, as well as a whole bunch of other links, probably somewhere between 25 and 30 links that you will find embedded in this article. And the reason I say that is because we do meticulously prepare these articles. We craft them, not just the writing process, which is what I do, but we also embed a lot of links inside our articles because we want it to be a plenary resource for you on whatever the subject matter may be. And the subject matter here is our common our common foe, which is anger. And so I would love for you to take this resource and use it like a long-term homework assignment, especially if you struggle with sinful anger. Or if you're coming alongside someone in a discipleship slash counseling construct, then maybe you could give them this article and say, hey, I want you to read this article. You can listen. You can watch. I also want you to 
just go through these different pathways of these linked articles inside this one here and then just do a deep dive study and reflective time on all things anger. Now, inside this article, I do have five infographics uh, that you can also look at. And please understand that these resources are free to you. There's really no hurdles here. Uh, we, we don't. We want to help you, and and we made a commitment a number of years ago that we'll just ask the Lord to supply what we need financially so that we can provide our resources free. And up to this point, he has done that graciously through the kindness of some people who are able to support our ministry. And so we don't have any kind of hook, any kind of catch. Uh, the bottom line is, is the only line, and the only line is we want to help you, and so I want you to take advantage of this resource, and just thank God that they're here, and that they're here, and they're free. Thank God for the people who are able to underwrite this ministry. I do thank God for them daily because I, I am the one that that hears a lot of the responses from people and what God is doing in their lives, and when I hear that. I almost always thank him for the people who really make it possible, and those are our financial underwriters who support us monthly or annually. And so again, the title of this article is, I am mad at God. There, I said it. Now, I will tell you that part of what I'm going to share with you, maybe a large part of it, is autobiographical. And I've said this before, what I write, I do not write in a detached way, meaning it just goes from my pen to the paper. Actually, it comes from my heart and then goes to the pen and to the paper or the computer screen. Uh, these are my devotionals. These are my reflections. These are the things that God has taught me over the number of years that I have been walking with him. And so when you read any article, what you are reading is is how I have been working out my salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. And there was a moment in my life where I did say the quiet part aloud, dear God, I know that you're in this and I don't like what is happening and I was there was not so much dissonance in my mind that I could not connect the dot that I was making a commentary about God because I knew that he was the one that was behind it all and so let me share with you a story about my friends Biff and Mabel their children Biffy and Biffina as always they're finding themselves in a little bit of trouble and God began to work in Biff's heart specifically in this podcast uh, through some counseling as the counselor began to bring the life of Joseph uh, in Egypt front and center so that Biff could see that there is a precedent here, that we have been here before. And so Biff is walking down not just a well-trodden path, but it is a redemptive path. And so I want you to see the parallel between what was going on in Biff's life and then our old friend Joseph, who has been a source of encouragement for many, many generations now. The first 19 years of Biff's life was the epitome of dysfunction. And then the Lord imposed himself into Biff's life by regenerating him. It was a fantastic turnaround. Biff eventually joined a local church and grew leaps and bounds as the Lord impassioned him with an expansive thirst for gospel truths. The church readily embraced Biff. 
He loved it all and was experiencing things that were radically different from his former manner of life, those first 19 years of dysfunctional living. It was an exciting time for the most part, and isn't that the way that it always is? We are not entirely sanctified, and so even with the excitement and the ups, uh, the good times, the wonderful times, there's always that former manner of life that is, is, is lurking, crouching at the door and sometimes leaping into our lives. Well, it was that way for Biff as well. And because of a few poor financial decisions in his past, things were tightening up on the provision side of things. Things. After discussing the best course of action with Mabel, they decided that she could take a job to supplement their income. Well, she found an administrative job at a local tax firm. It was perfect. Almost. Biff and Mabel continued to struggle in their marriage, but they figured that they were no different from anyone else. Besides, they loved God. And if you love God, there are no struggles that's going to overcome and divide you ultimately, so they thought. And so they chose not to share their marriage problems with their church. It wasn't that they were hiding anything. They did not have a category for appropriate biblical transparency within a caring community. And I have found this to be true so often. For whatever reason, the message just didn't get out. That, that, that Christians just did not receive the email that what we want to do, uh, we want to treat our church building like the local hospital. And so therefore, each time you show up, we, we come just as we are, and we are honest with about where we are physically and spiritually with each other, relationally. Well, Biff and Mabel did not get that email, and so they did not know that, hey, this is something that they want to do. Well, regrettably, nine months into Mabel's new job, she began an affair with one of the tax guys, as Biff would call him later. They started sleeping together, and within two years, Biff and Mabel divorced. Interestingly, the judge awarded Mabel the children, Biffy and Biffina. It was at that point that Biff began to give up on God. That's that is the last straw in Biff's world. It was breaking the camel's back. His life was circling the drain, but just before he gave up, ultimately, he came for counseling. We met over a few weeks, during which time Biff eventually blurted out what he only dared to think before. Quote, I am mad at God. There, I said it. Now, this is not something that I recommend that an individual say. However, in a discipleship construct, as I'm describing here, I do appreciate it when people say those types of things because I know that they're being honest and they're being transparent. Now, they can't stay there. I don't want them to stay there to just lock down on that point that I'm angry with God but we want to appreciate honesty and transparency because you know where they are. And if you do not know where a person is, spiritually speaking, you will not be able to help them. You can make too many assumptions and maybe even map what you assume about them, which is not reality. And then, of course, you end up missing them because you're talking past each other. And so though I 
I cringed when Biff said that. I was also grateful that he said that because he was telling me his truth. He was telling me exactly where he was and how he was struggling, and I don't think that he could say it in a clearer way. And so as I listened to Biff, I started sketching a few storyboards of what I was hearing. Now, that is something that I have been doing forever now. Whenever I talk to someone, I will typically sketch out, used to be on printing paper with a pen. Uh, Then later, I began to do it on my iPad, and I would just sketch out spiritual concepts because, well, one, a a picture is worth a thousand words, and I wanted them to get a good spiritual understanding, perspective of what was going on in their lives, knowing also that they're not able to retain everything that I would hope they would retain. And so if they could take a picture or several pictures home with them, hopefully it will stir up their memory as they go through the counseling session visually after they arrive home. Well, I did sketch out a few storyboards. There were five of them all together. And then after the counseling session, I came back to my office and then I I made them into a more presentable graphic, which you can find all five of them inside of this article. Now, part of this exercise was to help me to understand what was happening. You know, sometimes you will journal things because you're working it out in your own mind. Well, I was doing that through sketching stick people, stick figures. And so as I was sketching, it helped me to gain more clarity so that I could serve him more effectively. And then I also hope that I could share these concepts with Biff. Now, my ultimate hope was that we could collaborate, working together to see what the Lord might be up to and how Biff might need to rethink what was happening to him. And so the infographics in this article that I'm sharing with you, they do represent what I sketched for Biff during our counseling time together. Now, this is an actual counseling session. I have changed the names. I've changed the storyline. It's not about Mabel working at the tax office and committing adultery. So I've changed the story and I flattened it out because there are some deeper concepts that we can all grasp. And I trust that you will be able to grasp them by this fictional account of Biff and Mabel. Biff knew a few things about God, intellectually speaking, but functionally there were many things amiss, and that is something that I have found over and over again, that we learn a lot in our Bible studies, and we can exegete a passage of Scripture, we can parse a word, and we can tell you what the Greek what the Greek means, the Greek definition of this particular word. And we can gain our golden nugget for the day and even be more impassioned about God because of our deeper understanding of who he is and then go out of our Bible studies functionally almost like functional atheist in that we cannot, do not know how to connect the dot between what we intellectually understand about God and what we functionally and practically apply in our horizontal relationships. And Biff was just like this, meaning he was quite normal. He was quite the average or ordinary Christian. 
Bible study theology believed that God would take care of him because he trusted Christ for salvation. Now, that is a solid truth. If you have trusted God for your salvation, he will take care of you. And that is what any sound Bible study theology will tell you. Biff was ultimately correct in that assumption. Though he and the Lord had two differing opinions on what taking care of him meant. Kind of reminds me of Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good. And so the operative word there that you really have to unpack is the word good. What does good mean? Most Christians have an idea of what good is, and it's really not as expansive as God's interpretation of what good is. All things work together for good, and so God can use the bad things in our lives for good too. Well, Biff was in this kind of situation with the Lord. He knew that God would take care of him, but he had a different opinion about what taking care of him meant. Biff also knew that bad things happen to good people, as we like to say, including Christians. But Biff never connected this truth to his life, and that is the dissonance. He expected disappointments in a non-cynical way, and that's okay. Some people are cynical. They're just suspicious, critical people because they have been hurt so many times. But you can know this about God, that disappointments will come in your life, and you can know this in an uncynical way, and that is fine. But Biff never thought that they would be on the level of what they were in his life. And so I drew out a graphic that depicted Biff's practical theology and how he responded to God during his trial. I would love for you, if you are able, to go on our website and look at that graphic, number one, but also look at the other four graphics as well. If a picture is worth a thousand words, there's 5,000 words right there that will pictorially Uh, lay out some of these spiritual truths that I hope that you can grasp. You see, this first graphic talks about Biff's primary influence. His primary influences were his preferences, his hope, his expectations. And so he had a preferred kind of life, a, a hope. He hoped for a certain kind of life. He had an expectation of what his life would be. Those were the primary shaping influences, his preferences, and what he wanted his life to be, which is why Bill blurted out his anger toward God. He was frustrated how an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God was not giving him the life that he hoped to have that God would not meet him on his same preferential level. He said it this way, if God knows all things, he's omniscient. If God can do all things, he's omnipotent. If God is always omnipresent, he is the everywhere all the time. God, why can't he give me the life that I want? It's a good question. You could even ask it in a non-critical, non-cynical way, but at this juncture in Bill's sanctification, he was not doing that. He was accusatory and he was angry. Biff could not reconcile his present circumstance with these outstanding attributes, the three omnis being all-knowing everywhere all the time and being all-powerful. Until this time, Biff was only angry at Mabel and the tax guy. He was also angry at the judge who granted their divorce. You notice how his anger was moving out in a horizontal fashion. He never dared to think a sovereign God would not stop what was happening to him. 
during his season of what appeared to be a divine timeout. I'm just going to take you and set you over here, Biff. These big ideas about God began to flood his mind. And the more that he tried to move them out, the more they took his mind captive. And so finally he blurted out the actual truth that was in his heart. God was in this. God was behind this. God was aware of this. God was allowing all of this, and there was no denying it any longer. It is wrong to believe God will not allow pain and suffering in our lives. Do you believe this? The real question is, can you love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, even when your life is falling apart? It is one thing to sign off on biblical truth as you exit your Bible study on Tuesday morning, even biblical truth about personal suffering. It is a radically different thing to find a peace that passes your understanding when personal sorrow is crushing your life. And so it was at this juncture that I began to tell Biff about another man who was surprised by suffering. He went through many heartbreaks and disappointments, and so I sketched this man's life similar to how I depicted Biff's, and you can see those graphics here inside this article. That man's name was Joseph. Joseph loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, strength, just like Biff, and then all of a sudden his life went sideways, just like Biff. In Joseph's case, his brothers dissed him. They tossed him into a pit, only to later sell him to a group of tradesmen. His slave master's wife dissed him and had him thrown in jail. Joseph spent 13 years in exile, away from the family he loved. In time, Joseph ascended to the equivalent of vice president of the country that incarcerated him. There was a purpose in the madness. What Joseph did not know was that God was working his plan in the life of his people, not just Joseph, but God had a bigger plan in mind. Our loving father needed a man that he could trust placed in Egypt. God knew there would be a famine in Israel. And because he loved Joseph and his family so much, God crafted a mind-blowing plan to save Joseph and his father and his family. Our father could count on two things. Number one, Joseph loved God, which made him the perfect guy to cooperate with his divine plan. And then number two, Joseph's brothers were a bunch of rascals, which made them the ideal people to facilitate his plan. A strikingly similar narrative that would play out in Gethsemane many years later. God needed a man. His name was Jesus Christ, and he needed a bunch of rascals to fulfill his plan, which is what Peter was rebuking them for in his great sermon in Acts 2. The Lord took one good man, Joseph, and many evil men and crafted a masterful plan to accomplish his purpose for his glory and our benefit. And so one of the ways that I described this to Biff is I said, let's pretend just for a moment that you're looking at the earth with the Google Earth app. 
and you can zoom in on a street-level view, and you can zoom all the way out to where the inhabitants of the planet are not remotely discernible. Now, you have probably seen that on the Internet with this Google Earth view. And so with that concept in mind, let's, pre- let's pretend that you have zoomed out, spiritually speaking, as far as the human mind can perceive. And I have a graphic here that kind of communicates that. You are now encompassing all of time from Genesis to Revelation. And so as you look at all of time from Genesis to Revelation, what do you see? What you see is God's big picture of what he said he would accomplish and that no man or power could overturn his plan. God said that. And so God created a man and a woman and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. He commanded them regarding their responsibility to him in Genesis 2 verses 16 and 17. Shortly after that, they royally messed up the mandate. Though their sin did not deter the Lord, our sin does not deter the Lord. The Father revealed the future to Adam and Eve as he told them about the heel biter and the head crusher in Genesis 3.15. He promised that a seed would come forth to secure our redemption from your royal mess up. He raised a family to carry that seed that would eventually bring healing to the world. His name is Christ. That family came from a man named Abraham in Genesis 12, verse number 1. Nothing could stop God from fulfilling his promise to redeem a people. Similar to Joseph, the Lord had to relocate Abraham. He was near Persia between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Then Abraham had a son who had a son who had Joseph. Eventually, Abraham settled into what would become Israel. With a famine coming and a promise in play, the Lord relocated Joseph to Egypt. He needed someone headquartered in a place that could preserve the seed of the coming Savior. His name is Christ. Egypt was the place and Joseph was the man. From a ground-level view, it made no sense. From a God-level view, it made more sense From an eternal view, it blows your mind at the lengths God goes to show his love to us. God is calling us to trust him. There is a plan, and we're part of that plan. It's so easy to want to be the author of the story rather than trust the author of the story. Our call is not to passivity or fatalism but a call to trust and to engage actively, a feisty optimism, which is the point of what I'm sharing with you. The question is, will you, will I believe the author of the story that has our lives written into it? If we choose to work on our plan rather than his plan, we will never find true satisfaction and will always be in a relational conflict with God. Trying to be the God of our lives is far more complicated than trusting God with our lives. In Philippians 1.29, it says, For it has been granted to you not only to trust him and not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Sin will take you farther than you ever thought you would go and cost you more than you ever thought you would pay. God will take you farther than you ever thought you would go, and it will cost you more than you ever thought you would pay. 
Those two sentences read virtually the same, but they are as far apart as heaven and hell. Be not deceived. There is a high cost for discipleship. The life we live on earth is not safe, but it can be a good life. If you want to follow God, you must set aside your craving for life according to your preferences, which was Biff's problem initially. I wonder what would it be like to interview some of the individuals who followed the Lord in the New Testament. I wonder how they would answer the famous C.S. Lewis question from the Chronicles of Narnia. It could go something like this. Did you think the Lord was safe when you walked with him? Hey, Abraham, is God safe? God told him to go kill his son. Hey, Moses, is God safe? God sent him into 40 years of exile. Hey, Job, is God safe? Well, you know what happened to Job. Hey, Daniel, is God safe? God gave him a sleepover with some lions. Hey, John, is God safe? The leaders served up his head on a platter. Hey, Paul, is God safe? Someone murdered him, too. Hey, Jesus, is God safe? It pleased the Father to crush him. God has a plan for your life. He will not give you all the details of this divinely written plan. The Lord did not tell Joseph how this story would work out in the details or come to a redemptive end. He could not do that. He would not do that. If the Lord had told Joseph all that was going to happen, Joseph's faith would have been in the knowledge that he would be released from prison and become the vice president of Egypt. The Lord wants us to trust him not trust in the assured victory that is going to come. The title of this article is, I Met at God, There I Said It. I trust you have benefited from it. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.